0: Hi, I'm Laura Champion, fundraising strategist at Blakely and chair of the Education Committee of Congress this year. And I'm here with Anne Rosenfield. I was the chair of Congress this year and I'm with Charitably Speaking. And we're really happy to present to you the series of podcasts. Today's podcast is one with an expert from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, talking about small town fundraising and the difference between that and big city fundraising. It was a really interesting, fascinating session when we read the description and then when it was delivered and something that kind of shakes up Congress. It's not just Toronto. Uh, So I (laughs) would say, I know, and it's hard to believe. Uh, So we really hope you enjoy this specific
1: session and, and get into it. There's tips here for you if you are a Toronto fundraiser or if you're a small town fundraiser.
0: And don't forget to listen to the other sessions we've got dropping later this week. Enjoy. Afternoon, everyone. We're going to get started. It's exciting. Clearly, this is a popular to an interesting topic for everybody. So... Uh, My name is Paul. I'm your session host uh, this afternoon. If I can please ask you to, you'll see in the middle of your table, the green sheets, the session evaluations, please grab one now and fill them out. It really helps AFP to plan for sessions that are really uh, different than we normally have, which is exactly how this session was born. Also, it's always helpful feedback for the presenters on their content to learn how they can tweak it for future sessions, because I think this will be a future session with uh, the wonderful interest we've had. So I'd love to introduce to you uh, Malcolm Radke, the CEO of Lloyd Minister Regional Health Foundation. Born in the small oil and ag community of Lloyd Minister, Saskatchewan on the border of Alberta, Malcolm is currently the CEO of his community's health foundation. At the end of the workday, nothing beats his prairie back road commute to his home in the village of Marshall, Saskatchewan. In his seven years as a fundraiser, he's found success taking best practices and emerging trends from industry leaders and applying them to his rural community to blue-collar donors. Many of the foundation's key campaigns have relied on engaging donors, both from the City of Lloyd-Minister and from the surrounding rural communities. Malcolm's been a volunteer with Hockey Canada and is on the board of the local Kids Sport Municipal Organization. We're really excited to have Malcolm with us. Please welcome Malcolm Raddick.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Can you guys hear me okay? Awesome. So, you kind of did my intro, you already gave me away, but before that was supposed to happen, I wanted to first introduce you to a friend of mine and as you can say, as you can see his name is Otis. So, as I was preparing for this presentation with you guys today, I kind of screwed through the database of donors and I thought, who's the most redneck donor I can find and <laughs> I think if if Otis were to hear this, he'd be a little bit proud of that title. So, First and foremost, I'd like to introduce you to Otis before we go anywhere else. So Otis likes four things in his life. First three are pretty obvious. So tractors, uh, Otis is basically semi-retired now, but um, come harvest time, he loves helping out around the, the farmland around Lloyd Minster. He's also an avid, uh, basically a mini tractor collector, which you can see there. And then the second one, Tim Hortons, he actually loves Tim Hortons so much, I was trying to find a picture of the exact Tims where we always go, and in the Google picture, that's actually his SUV there. That's <laughs> how much he loves it. So Otis, Otis is the type of guy, um, if you text him or email him, that's great, but he's probably going to call you five minutes later and say, hey, can you meet down the road at the Tim Hortons for 10 minutes, the one without the drive through uh, The third thing, um, you know, Our line of work, we're, of course, supposed to stay stay neutral, and and I am. um, But a lot of these donors, if you're going to talk rural, you're probably going to be dealing with a lot of right-wing conservative types. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) So right off the top, uh, you know, be prepared for some Trudeau shots, or that's Rachel Notley, Premier of Alberta, beside him, who's NDP. And then the fourth thing he loves is donating big dollars to charity. So... The thing about Otis and the millions of other donors like him across rural Canada is that uh, you know they definitely have a hard persona. They um, come off as tough guys, and, and they are for the most part, but they have huge hearts. And so don't, uh, Otis excuse me, donated to that event, which I'll touch on a little bit more down the road. He gave his $5,000 and then he turned around and also helped us find the major sponsor for $50,000. And he hasn't told me the exact figure. But he has mentioned that he's left us in his will, so really a home run donor for us. And uh, again, he takes the crown for now of most redneck donor. (laughs) Close behind him is my other friend Paul. So that's Paul's company, the banners behind him, PWM Steel. He's a scrap metal dealer, he's the biggest scrap metal dealer basically between Edmonton and Saskatoon. Um, any, Any farmer or industrial business that has scrap sitting around, there's big money in it for Paul. Paul um, was a single guy most of his working life. He has no children, and he's very community-minded. So if you're you know, a fundraiser, he pops up all over your radar. Same thing with Paul. He likes three things. Chuck wagons, donors, and you guessed it. <laughs> Complaining about non-conservative governments. So my first question of the day for you guys is, how many of you are familiar with chuck wagons and chuck wagon racing? A few of you, that's awesome. So um, Paul's a big sponsor of the CPCA, Canadian Professional Truck Wagon Association, and there's also the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association, and they're the two biggest truck wagon associations in the world. Personally, I think it's because Alberta and Saskatchewan are the only people who care, but <laughs> they have that title. Um, it's a big deal if, if you're in the area, it's probably the second biggest sport behind hockey and Paul is all over that. So that is a, it's called a tarp sponsor on the top left there. He sponsors one of the leading contenders and that gets ridden around the ring. So for those of you who don't know chuck wagon racing, there's four of those chuck wagons lined up beside each other. There's four horses hooked up to the chuck wagon and then a driver sits in obviously, you know, riding shotgun basically. He's in the driver's seat. He'll have two outriders with him. The first one stands behind the chuck wagon as soon as the, the horn goes off, they have to throw a fake kettle in there. So it's literally like from the good old days, you know, pack up and go kind of thing. Throws a fake kettle in there, uh, hops on his horse, and then has to run through the barrels. So as soon as that's done and the kettle's in your chuck wagon, the chuck wagon then takes off and weaves through two sets of barrels, and then they race around the track. So there's four competitors and just first place wins. So huge sport, uh, sponsorship opportunities all over it. If you're familiar with the industry, you know, there's, there's finish line sponsorships, all the rest of it. Uh, so the secret with Paul, again, he's a tough guy to, to uh, approach. He can seem intimidating, but again, huge heart. And the secret with him, like maybe a lot of donors in your arsenal, he likes a free meal. So if you offer lunch with Paul and you have a beer with him, you're probably good in his books forever. And of course, you'll have to explain how, you know, the federal and provincial governments are maybe screwing him a little bit. <laughs> and then the last thing about Paul as well, donating big dollars to charities. So PWM Steel. Stands for Paul Walter Murray, his two former business partners. He tells you it stands for Paul wants money. <laughs> now, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Paul Paul views community giving as a competitive advantage. So he wants to be first and foremost. He wants to have his name on anything and everything community related happening in the area. Uh, obviously, rink board. Another shot of the chuck wagons, and then those two event posters in the bottom corners. You can see his logo fairly prominently. That again is Paul in the top left uh, giving to the Here Comes Santa campaign which happens every year and he just absolutely loves that one so huge heart on Paul as well so now to get into who I am um, I don't know if you guys can tell but that isn't me in that picture I've never won the Stanley Cup um, how many of you guys have heard of Braden Holpe not that many of you okay fair enough so Brayden Holpe uh, is the goaltender for the Washington Capitals and they just won the Stanley Cup a few months ago Braden is from where I live now Marshall Saskatchewan town of 500 people Uh, So we got our first Stanley Cup and that's him posing with it in front of the green elevator. So a big moment for our community. It's kind of our claim to fame. He's our celebrity. Like many small town Saskatchewan communities, their NHL players are their their famous uh, residents. That is Marshall right there. It's uh, basically a small suburb of Lloydminster, which is where I work. And I'm actually from Lloydminster originally. I drove two and a half hours down the road to Saskatoon, which you can see on the far right there. Um, and then unplanned, I ended up back in Lloydminster to start my career and I'm still in the area. So that's as far as my, um, you know, world travels have gone is down the road and back again. <laughs> uh, Lloydminster itself, I'll, I'll get into a little bit later and, and its healthcare dynamics from a fundraising perspective. But as you can see, it's basically right in the middle of Edmonton and Saskatoon. Uh, it's the biggest city in between. How many of you have heard of Lloydminster? Quite a few. Impressive. How many of you have uh, been to it, been through it? Again, a few of you. Awesome. So we're not totally small. That's good. Oh, sorry about that. I skipped ahead a bit. So who I am a little bit continued, that's me and my partner on the uh, left. And we have five kids, so we're busy. Um, Got chopped off at the airport between the oldest two's hockey games and after the youngest two's naps. And we're on the go. All five of them were born in the Lloydminster Hospital that I now work at, which is kind of cool. Um, On the right is a little bit of of my passion and um, what I do with the spare time I can find. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher. I don't do it as much anymore, but I did want to um, at least chat about it today. You know, I think anybody who works in healthcare, so that's the next question for you guys. How many of you are involved in healthcare fundraising? A few of you. So, I don't know about, I can't speak for you guys, but I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but... um, Oftentimes, because we're in the system or you know a government bureaucrat, in their eyes, we get asked a lot of healthcare questions. Uh, it's my opinion that you know obviously we're sharing our talents as fundraisers, but any passion or any knowledge related to healthcare and improving it, we should at least you know give back in that way. So, um, mindfulness and yoga, obviously on the preventative, proactive community mental health side, is um, good for everyone in the community. So I wanted to. Before I go any further, give you guys five minutes. It might not be five minutes, but it's called the FMFM, Five-Minute Fundraiser Mindfulness. So um, I'm actually, I was at an earlier session. I was surprised by the amount of people who have a mindfulness practice. So just a quick show of hands, how many of you, you know, have tried mindfulness or yoga or some form of self-care and, and related to that? Awesome, so pretty much all of you. So in the midst of this crazy conference, we're all just going to take five minutes now to close our eyes. I'll take you through a mindfulness session. Uh, and then we can continue on. So close your eyes preferably. Obviously, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But just get yourself as absolutely comfy as possible before I do anything else. And you really don't have to compromise or compensate at all here. This next five minutes is really just all about you. So I invite you one more time to just get as comfy as possible. If you want to maybe uncross your legs or relax your fingers or your shoulders or even your face muscles, feel free. Awesome, guys. Just take a moment to do nothing at all. Don't listen to me at all. Just let your mind go wherever it wants to. It's probably happening already. Notice how you're feeling here as we wind down the first day of pretty exciting and busy conference. Lots of good learning. (coughs) And again, one more time. Maybe any tension that crapped back in, just let it melt away. On your next breath no rush you can finish the one you're on but on your next breath just see if you can follow it from the very start of it all the way to the top you don't have to change it do anything drastic just see if you can follow it with your attention find that moment where it switches from the inhale to the exhale follow that all the way back down and let your next breath the one after this one be the most focused centered breath you've taken all day maybe all week or even all month Just follow it all the way up. Watch those distractions come and go. Feel those muscles expand and then contract. Follow them all the way down. And see if you can catch that moment where that breath ends and the next one starts. And this is your bonus breath. See how slow you can take this one. Awesome, guys. Now we're just going to quickly scan through each of the senses. So obviously, if you close your eyes and start listening to me, your, your vision sorry shuts down for the most part, and you start to tune into your ears, your sense of hearing more. So go ahead and stick with that. Besides my voice, just see how many sounds you can hear in this room. Obviously, you hear my voice, maybe the next presenter beside us, sound of the building, sound of your neighbor. And what else after that? you find the quietest sound in this room. You guys are doing great. We'll scan through three senses that you're not really using right now. The first one, as I mentioned, is your vision, your eyesight. So notice, even though your eyes are close, just keep them close. But notice how your field of vision is still there. Just looking at the backs of your eyelids. Probably the color of the lights against them, right? All sorts of different colors. Notice how wide your field of vision is. You can quickly scan through the next through two. Sense of smell, sense of taste. Just notice how, again, no active information there. So your conscious mind tunes it out, but your subconscious mind still processes it. It's still happening. Your attention just says there's no use in this, but it's still there. And then lastly, sense of touch is the funnest one. When I said sense of touch, where did your attention go right away? There's no right answer. 50 different answers to that one. 50 different people here. See if you can find, once again, just like the sound, see if you can find the most prevalent touch sensation, probably the backs of your chair, bottom of your chair, maybe your shoes, floor. To be more specific, it's probably your socks that you're feeling. And then zoom out a little further, see if you can feel your entire body at the same time. Another way of putting it, can you feel all your nerves talking to you? So you feel that tingling sensation on the tips of your fingers, right? See if you can feel it all over your entire body. Just sit in that for a moment, no rush here. Notice how your mind's like, how much longer? What's next? When are we going to talk about rednecks again? Stay with it. Just for a moment, I invite you to feel all your senses at the same time. Again, your subconscious mind is already doing this. Just let your conscious mind help out for a little while. Notice how challenging that might be, or not challenging. Maybe you feel like one or two dominant ones right away. You try to scan all over them at the same time. might help to think about like widening the lens, zooming out, stepping back. Just let it all be felt. And so as fundraisers, the last part of this, I know you guys all have big hearts because that's what this industry is all about. So just in your line of work, I want you to think about the person who you didn't know before the job, who has benefited most from your cause, your organization, maybe your specific efforts. For me, we're going to talk about him in a little while, but his name's Jeff. He lost his wife at 32 to brain cancer and had a tremendous experience in our palliative care. When he did the check presentation, we had new equipment in the room that he lost his wife in eventually, ultimately. And uh, he couldn't even handle going in there. We had to do it in the hallway. And that's when it got real for me. So just think about that real moment when you're like, this is more than a paycheck. This is more than a job. And the second person, somebody in your life, you know, personally, family member, close family, maybe. Maybe it's a friend who's been impacted by your work. Maybe it's a friend you've made through your work. Just think about the personal impact you've made on your own life and those around you with your efforts, your day job, your extra efforts, most often. And then the last person I want you to think of is yourself, of course again it's a giving industry give a lot of time effort most of us are probably donors as well you give a lot right as you sit in this conference just think about you know giving back to yourself the personal growth here the professional connections you'll make and just allow yourself to have that that's perfect last 30 seconds or so here you can do whatever you want if you have a little gratitude practice feel free to do that or Hang out with the senses, the breath, again. Those three people you're thankful for your work on. No rush here, just enjoy this quiet time amidst this crazy, exciting, awesome conference. So when you're ready, again, no rush and keep your eyes closed. Just slowly come back to your body, wiggle your fingers, toes eventually blink your eyes open. I'm going to keep talking here, but just thank you guys for hanging in there and working through that. So did you guys know that well-rested employees tackle harder problems? So if your staff are stressed, if they're not getting sleep, if they're not taking care of themselves, that's when they'll just play the email game and make sure their inbox is at zero and not really tackle tough problems. When they're feeling well rested and taken care of and well charged, and this includes you obviously, that's when you're going to have the creativity and the courage to tackle those big problems. So just keep that in mind. So my foundation, um, we are not a big foundation by any means. On a good year we'll raise two, two and a half million if it's a sexy major project. For the most part we're we're right in that one and a half to two range, 1.4 to 1.8. We are a regional health foundation, so there's a little bit of a distinction between health and hospital foundations. We are not stuck to a specific facility but most of our funds do go to our hospital. So we manage six healthcare facilities in our Lloydminster community and 20 various departments. Our official mission is to enhance healthcare, promote innovation to the generous support of our donors. Pretty straightforward, right? Enhancements and innovations. You and I pay for basic healthcare through our tax dollars. Anything extra, the nice to have stuff, that's where the, you and I come in as donors. Our unofficial mission, to be honest with you, the easiest selling point to have on a project we're here to reduce out-of-town medical travel and keep as many healthcare services local as is feasible. So it might not make sense to have a heart attack, you know, cardiac specialist in our community, but we're going to make sure that the family general um, GPs in town are well staffed and taking care of you. So just something to think about. Um, as I know some of you are from big city charities and some of you are from small towns. Just think about your positioning here and be honest with yourselves. You're not going to be the next Toronto. Vancouver, Edmonton, or Calgary in our case, or Saskatoon. But you definitely have a role to play in all of this. So Lloyd Minster itself, um, when I started there, I think a lot of us talked about 32,000. That's our community, right? We are. Somebody asked me, what's the deal with Lloyd Minster? Why is it right on the border? And I don't have a good answer for you, actually. We, uh, we've concluded that the bar colonists, when they were settling, just picked the random spot. And if they would have gone six more hours one way or the other, we wouldn't be on a border, so we have the... Um, the I know you guys are all going to be jealous, but not only do we have one health authority to talk to, we get to talk to two provincial health authorities, so... <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But the important thing here is that uh, provincial health authorities view, by default, no fault of their own, but by default they view our half of the community, the 10,000 that are in Saskatchewan, those are their people. The people that are literally from me to you away across the street may as well be on another planet at times. And it just takes education each time to make them see this is one community. They access the hospital on the Saskatchewan side, but they use the sports centers and the long-term care homes on the Alberta side all day long. What we learned um, from from a case study I will show you very shortly is that our catchment area for health services specifically is 72,000. So as you can see from the map, there's some bigger centers nearby. If you've heard of Cold Lake or Bonneville at the top, Um, or even Wainwright at the bottom, Vermilion, North Battleford, they might come to Lloydminster for retail. So, you know, stop at Home Depot, Walmart, the nice restaurants, and then go home. So when they say a trip into town, they're talking about us. The healthcare, they have regional healthcare centers that take care of them. The actual healthcare catchment area includes those little towns of Marshall, like I said, uh, all the way up to Paradise Hill, and then all those little communities in between. So, again, as I mentioned, they want to come to Lloyd Minster and they'll usually bring their spouse with them and the spouse drops them off at the hospital. Maybe they get some shopping done on the way home. This is the mindset of these people. And whatever city you're from, people in rural small towns or on acreages and farms are coming to your city at the very least for supply runs, the trip to Costco and Walmart. So they're not totally unfamiliar with your community. For today's talk, now that you know a little bit about me and uh, the foundation I work at, I want to take you through a major project case study of ours, and it's a major project uh, by our standards. The total raise was $1 million. We were responsible for 500000 that. So for some of the bigger foundations in the room, I know that hardly even touches your radar, but for us, it's a big one. Um, I really want to focus today... I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of quantitative data or, or stats on, you know, here's, here's the rural setting, here's the stats. I just want to give you the perspective from a small-town foundation. So when I come to these big city conferences, I come back with a head full of knowledge and there's so many good ideas and so many of you are probably smarter and better than me at certain areas of fundraising all day long. So I thought there must be other people in the room here that live in a city of 32,000 or smaller and just say, wow, this is a lot. I'm going to take what I can and uh, integrate it back into our community. And then I thought, you know, we probably do things differently than the big cities. So why don't I share with some of the big city guys and other real foundations what we get up to? After that major project case study that you guys can kind of, you know, dissect and dig into and take away from, I want to give you a couple more rural donor profiles similar to Paul and Otis. Um, Again, just so you can get into the headspace of, of the rural donors. I will briefly go over some trends impacting rural fundraising as, you know, versus urban fundraising. And then some positioning for big city charities looking to get more into the rural market. Some positioning for other local small town charities. So at this point, just a quick show of hands, I'm curious, how many of you are from, uh, you say, I'll just—I won't define it, but I'll let you define it in your own heads. How many of you are from a big city foundation or nonprofit? Kind of, sorta. Yeah. Okay. And how many of you are from us? what you would consider a local, small town charity? Awesome. Okay. So it's pretty close to half and half. A little more small towners, like me, which is awesome. Um, I was gonna wear my rider jersey today, but they <laughs> lost out, so save it for another time. So the campaign itself that we're going to focus on today, as I kind of alluded to, 500000 This was for a new CT scanner in our hospital. As we learned, it is very much a regional hospital. So the goal was $500,000. We basically had two months to pull this off. Um, year ends in healthcare March 31st. And basically it was just after the new year, kind of early, mid-January, we were saying, you know, we need to get this paid because the health authority is coming for this $500,000 bill on March 31st. So we need to fundraise the cash. For this. So we basically had two months to plan some sort of event in early March, take care of the collections, forward on the money to the government. The provincial government of Saskatchewan did uh, agree to match, so they paid for half, we paid for half. Uh, The donors, which I'll get into later, found that as a selling point. I think anybody who works in healthcare fundraising knows maybe they should have paid for all of it, right? But that's in in our view, it's like, wow, there's money for a rural regional hospital, we gotta jump on this, we gotta get all over it. We'll leave the debate for later. We just want a CT scanner at the end of the day. The how of how we did it, so we found a hundred couples was our angle, hundred donors, so like you and your spouse, at five thousand each for a thank you dinner. So there was zero fundraising that night. The value of the dinner was a hundred dollars, so it was a thank you event. It was a full we viewed it as a donation. You weren't purchasing a table to anything, you just donated to us. We gave you a tax receipt, and then we said thank you. It was (laughs) sold as a, uh, like, secret location event. So I don't know if you can tell. You can probably tell, but that's an unfinished space in a new build in our town. It's, like, the highest building in the middle of town now, and they haven't found a tenant yet. So we actually decorated it and put that long table, 200 people, sit wherever you want, and it really felt like you and your neighbor having dinner together, which was really cool. Uh, We brought in Andrew McKay, who... uh, Is there any some of you know who he is? Like Top Chef Canada guy. He's a pretty big deal by Canadian standards. He fortunately is just down the road in Saskatoon. So we brought him in for the night to cater. So that was some of the selling features. The <clears throat> We didn't do a whole lot of marketing at all. The marketing material we did do is in the bottom right hand corner there. So remember, these are rural donors, right? We don't have high-end five-star restaurants. We have restaurants we consider like, you know, I'm going to take off the, the blue jeans and the plaid shirt and put on a nice shirt and go to dinner with my wife but this was really our one shot at Andrew McKay like a chef of his standard right there in our community so the result in the end we actually ended up overshooting our goal 550,000 raised 30 grand in expenses $520,000 net so for us remember that 1.4 to 1.8 million we were sitting at about 1.3 that was a significant jump in our revenue for the year and so we ended up finding those hundred it was 110 in the end it was so exciting that people were walking in the day of giving us five thousand dollar checks just so they could come and these are people who traditionally said no to us right like oh it's tough that sort of thing and all of a sudden here's the money like i know some of you probably most of you have been a part of those magical major campaigns where it's just there's an energy to it, and that's what ended up happening in our small town. The only reason it works, so Lloydminster is an oil and egg town. Oil, for the most part, comes first. You're going to ask the oil producers, the oil service companies for donations, but I don't know how much you've been following that. There's not a lot of money in Canadian oil right now. So our community on the oil side was very much hurting. So we, we, they stepped up, they were there, but they weren't there in droves like they would be. So the only reason this worked is we ended up kind of striking gold with that rural community. 70 out of 110 of the donors are from the agricultural industry. They didn't live in Lloydminster. It was crazy. It was, you know, you do these strategic planning things and getting out into the rural community was like one of six priorities for the year kind of thing. Like we should should probably do a little more of this. What ended up happening, that very bottom bullet point, one of the people we sold to owns the John Deere dealership in town, And that's maybe a good practical tip for you. If you want to get into rural fundraising, start with the ag companies. And John Deere is kind of the high-end ag equipment dealer. So they donated, the principal owner donated. A big portion of his senior management gave, and all the minority owners gave. They turned around and asked every farmer they knew, and away it went. It really hit that tipping point where everyone's in. So is anybody anybody familiar with that uh, Malcolm Gladwell book, Tipping Point? So that's what, it, what ended up happening. It basically hit critical mass where it tipped over and it became this thing where, hey, are you going to this thing? Oh, first I heard about it. What is it? Oh, that sounds amazing. I need to check the date. And we ended up having people who donated because they cared more about the CT scanner and they weren't the type of people to come to this type of event. One of the selling features, when we were on the phone with people, we said, leave your wallet at home. Like It's not a fundraiser at all. There is zero money being spent here. You donate that five grand. That's as much as we need from you. So that type of crowd... They don't want to put their hand up at a gala and donate $5,000 to you. They don't really want to buy a $10,000 live auction trip. These people, for the most part, I mean, not all of them, there's flashy donors everywhere, but for the most part, they're very quiet, but they're very philanthropic. So just something to keep in mind for positioning. What we found out early and often is that they care about our regional hospital in our rural surrounding area as much as the city population does. For them, it's a trip to town for the day, so I just have to take my wife to the hospital in town, and then we're home that night, right? If I have to take an overnighter to the city, which in our case is Edmonton or Saskatoon, then I have to book two days off of work. I can't just find someone to cover for a couple hours for me. I have to find a sitter, I have to go in, I have to book a hotel. The expenses are crazy. So they wanted that just as much as anybody living in Lloyd-Minster They want the half-an-hour drive to Lloyd instead of the two-and-a-half to Saskatoon or Edmonton. So just something to keep in mind if, for all of you small-town donors is, you know, how can I... How can I be the regional spot for these people? The government matching component, as I mentioned, was a selling feature for them. Our community only has to pay for half, and the provincial government is doing their part. So, all of a sudden, the government is matching every dollar, they can double their impact. They give $5,000, they make a $10,000 impact in that hospital. What we learned, solid understanding of corporations and tax receipts. As you chat with these major donors, of course, you'll find the accountants love the numbers game. Um, The, I don't know, more blue-collar guys, they're more about sell me on the story of it. These farmers, like, they knew more about corporations and tax returns than I did. So as you're reaching out into the ag community, it's just important to remember, these guys are walking corporations. In their line of work, it's usually, like, you know, multi-generational family business. It's a lot of sole proprietors or family-owned corporations, these guys understand the big numbers. They're making half a million dollar line of credit decisions tomorrow on what kind of seed they're buying, what kind of equipment they need for harvest. Like $5,000 to them is a pretty easy decision. Like a lot of them dropped off a check from their checking account later that day. I couldn't pull that off, but that's just the kind of, I guess, familiarity and understanding they have. And then the last thing, as I mentioned, a person of influence was on the fundraising committee making the ask. So that's no different in a rural setting than it is in an urban setting. If I ask you for money, I have to explain who I am, what my cause is. If your best friend asks you for money, you're like, "Wow, this is serious. You know, this person's credible. I believe in him." So, as with any major project, just really with that real community, make sure you have somebody they know and trust. <clears throat> so, like any major project, we, um, you know, went out and talked to a lot of people. So, 100 couples. We figured we had to ask 300 people for donations. One in three is our number. I know it's different for some of you. Uh, we figure if it's if it's one and two, it's an amazing project. If you're doing any better than that, like three out of four people give to you, you're probably either not asking enough, or you're not you're not asking enough, or you're not asking for enough, right? So you want to fail one in two times. It means you're pushing yourself, and it means one and two are saying yes. It must be an important project. Uh, we were kind of conservative. We said one and three, so we had to talk to 300 people along the way. I met uh, Adam Teasdale. I'll show you his video in one second here and. Adam is about my age, uh, he's he's in his 30s, he's got a young family, and I know as you guys profile your donors, this is the type of guy, he's still building his nest egg, right, he's not an empty nester, he's not retired, so for him to turn around and say, actually I want more information on this, him and his business partner Travis said, this is important, we should donate to this, um, I knew there was a connection there, so Adam himself is not a farmer, but he lives in Paradise Valley, which is uh, 10 minutes sorry, not 10 minutes, 20 minutes south of Lloydminster, and his grandma, I'm just gonna play the video, I'm not even gonna tell the story. (laughs) I'm gonna ruin it and like, you know, butcher it. I'm thankful that we have the proper medical technology available in our community. Having the new CT scanner at the Lloydminster hospital meant that I could spend the holidays with my loved ones after I fell down the stairs instead of spending it in a larger center alone. I could be there to open Christmas presents with my grandkids and celebrate the holiday season with my family. Thank you to the Lloydminster Region Health Foundation and all its donors for ensuring we have the proper technology available for our community. So that's basically it. So that's a 30-second short. We're using that as an ad, just saying thank you. And the message we got from Adam is that his grandma, who you just saw in the video, actually had a fall on her farm in paradise valley on christmas day and so for them once again do we want to go to saskatoon or Edmonton on christmas day book that last minute hotel you guys know the story right so instead they drove into lloydminster used this new ct scanner because it was already installed by then accurate diagnostic imaging the family could make a decision on it and she was home that night in her own bed so those are the home run stories right i mean we can do the i can tell you the numbers and the average income of these folks but really Until you get out there and talk to the donors and hear the stories, that's when you start to feel it. So I want to move now into four or five donor profiles for you guys. Once again, uh, these are actual donors, and this one I'm starting with, I'm not... um, This is kind of a a fail story, I guess, for our foundation, so... I don't know if if anybody knows that lady on the left there in that photo. She's from the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital in Saskatoon. Does anybody know her? Recognize that foundation? Maybe some of you? So... Uh, women of the wagons, as I mentioned, the chalk wagons, these are like the, the wives who have to follow their husbands all summer to all these small communities all over the prairies and basically take care of the horses and feed the family, all the kids that come along and entertain their sponsors like Paul and his wife. And So at the CPCA finals in Lloyd Minster, they hold this big gala and it's it's planned by all women and it's diamonds, denim and diamonds. So obviously this is like a cowboy community, right? <clears throat> and then... They donate the proceeds. They view this as we're taking care of all the kids in our area across our entire league. So they donate to Stollery in Edmonton, uh, Jim Patterson in Saskatoon, and then us right in the middle, our pediatric department. So you have to kind of play nice in the playground with... (laughs) You can't, you know, ask for all of it. But this is just how they think, right? Like, if it's a more serious issue... I'm gonna go to Edmonton or Saskatoon. Lloydminster is not gonna have the pediatric specialists I trust and nor should we. We're a city of 32,000 people. How are we gonna recruit pediatric specialists so they can get a job anywhere, right? So we say, we're gonna make it as comfortable as possible for you. We're gonna make sure the ER nurses and the maternity ward and the the one or two pediatric doctors we do have, they're gonna be comfortable. They're gonna have great equipment. And then should it be more serious and escalate, we're gonna make sure you get to Edmonton or Saskatoon safely. That's our value proposition in the whole healthcare timeline. And this donor really captured it on their own. So that lady there, that photo was taken in Lloydminster. She came out from Saskatoon, or somebody came out from Saskatoon, took that photo, and I found it on their social media when I was preparing for this event. So that one, the onus is on me as a CEO, but it was a Saturday night, and I couldn't find staff to cover it. So I'm like, you know, we need to get there and get that check and say thank you. There's no reason why somebody, an out-of-towner, gets a donation and outperforms us on the stewardship of it, right? So. That's our one competitive edge locally, is that we can get to know this group of committee planners and these donors and really do a good job of saying thank you. This is an example of a city foundation coming into our rural city and doing a good job of saying thank you. And you see their tagline, we want to cover the entire area of our league. Next one is Lance and Jackie Moorbutter, so that's the two of them there on the bottom. Their son, Lance and Jackie are kind of your typical... Entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, very focused their whole lives, worked you know, 100-hour weeks, all the rest of it. Serial entrepreneurs, once they sold one business, they were never bored. They found something else to do. <clears throat> their youngest son, so their baby, got diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at 15 years old, changed their world entirely. And this is your typical donor story, right? They are so focused on their work and everything else, the healthcare system runs itself and it's there if I need it. All of a sudden, they go through this life-changing event, and they say, "Wow! Like I'm really starting to pay more attention to nonprofits and charities, and I want to be involved and give back." So, Jackie, when she retired, you know, the Stollery and obviously all sorts of cancer agencies saved her son's life. She became she's a local fundraiser for the Stollery now. But first, she was with another organization. She pulled off a thirty-thousand-dollar third-party event in our community for a national charity. She received a thank you, but what she tells me is all her committee volunteered all their time, there's 10 of them, and they never received a thank you. So now she jumped ship to the Stollery Foundation, which is, again is in Edmonton. She still supports us locally, you know, she's an ally and a friend of the foundation, but her heart is in the Stollery as it should be because it saved her child's life. So her heart was also with another agency, but that stewardship piece, what, right? What's the return on investment? There's smarter people at this conference that'll tell you all day long how to say thank you properly. What's the return on investment for that national charity if they could have just mailed out 10 thank you cards to her committee? Pretty cheap, right? So now that I'm retired, I want to use my skills to give back. So Jackie is the person on the ground in a rural community that you guys need to meet. She's semi-retired. She's newly semi-retired, so she has a lot of energy. She's passionate about something, in this case cancer, and she's willing to ask all of her peers for donations. So find your Jackie. Jackie. Next one, um, Jeff Collins. So I mentioned him during that meditation. Jeff, again, is close to me in age, so this story really got to me. Uh, he lost his wife at 32 years old to a brain tumor. They had a phenomenal last month in our palliative care, and that's the memory they have now. So the palliative nurses went above and beyond, basically set up her palliative room as like a spa day kind of thing. They hosted you know, all sorts of celebrations, and they were just great to the family. They had an awesome experience. So now Jeff wants to give back to our hospital, um, the cancer and chemo ward, and also the palliative ward. But he also wants to you know, contribute to curing cancer. So that's a hot debate, right? Like The cure for cancer, is it out there? Isn't it out there? Maybe it's already cured. Someday they're going to cure it, but our Lloydminster hospital is not going to cure it. So that's not our positioning at all. We're, we're here to just make sure people are as comfortable as possible during treatment and make sure that the specialists that are helping them, the frontline staff, are taken care of. So this, this is one where we had success with Jeff. He gave two-thirds to us locally and one-third to a provincial agency. Um, again, there's just, you know, Jeff and I are like good friends now, and we met during this, and I was just totally touched by his story. Now that we're friends, he's like, I'm just donating it all to you guys. Where does my money go when it goes to a big organization like that? That's his question. So he pledged to us again next year. It's not a huge event. I mean, $15,000 is a lot of money, um, but what's the, again, what's the lifetime value of, of Jeff if he's in his 30s and his significant other passed away with life insurance? You know, all those questions is a fundraiser you have to ask. You build that relationship through a third-party event, and if you're that provincial agency, you had that opportunity, right? <clears throat> the fourth one, this one, is so you don't think we're all just a bunch of rednecks. <laughs> Obviously, if we're talking small towns, uh, you know, rural donors, it's going to be predominantly white folks. <clears throat> These people... Um, this is a very real example. So they are facing local collateral damage racism as a result of the actions of other people who claim to share their faith in other parts of the world. So they very actively said, we want to project the right image in the local community of what we're all about. We are not about, um, they have a way of saying it, but you know, we, we do not believe in the sword to enforce our religion. <clears throat> so they approached us and said, how do we get involved? We actually learned a lot with these people because you know, naturally... Um, I guess you always have some assumptions about other folks, and then as we get meeting them, we're like, actually, they're probably more conservative than any of us. Like, I'm a male CEO, and if I wasn't, they would have probably had a tough time dealing with me. It was the men that approached me. It was the men that planned it. And you see one of our fundraisers in that photo, Steph. She's actually here so at this conference. Say hi if you see her. We snuck her into that photo last second, and they were like, ooh, I don't know about this, right? Because they're a very structured society. So you have to learn those norms, and I think you just... You don't know them until you talk to them and you realize wow the women a wall like this they pray on the other side of the mosque right like that's that's how they do business they are a well-connected group in our local medical community so i would say about a quarter of our doctors are of the muslim faith and again we have zero connection to them the same way these guys would and they aren't intimidated by big fundraising numbers so don't be afraid to engage those those niches those minorities in your community we said we have this $160,000 piece of eye surgery equipment. And they said, "Okay, give us a couple of years and we'll be on it." You know, we'll we'll raise you see 12,000 this year and 120 next year and we'll get you close. Like they were they were not phased at all by that number. They had doctors in their community and I think any donor, he's going to ask two questions. How much is the government paying for? And what does my doctor friend think of this, right? So the, their doctor friends thought it was a good idea. They said Obviously, our seniors use eye surgery equipment in the hospital just like everyone else, so we need to invest in this so they don't go out of town. Very simple proposition that the rest of our donors make. They're human just like everybody else in the community. And the last point, our community was very receptive to their event, so I think they left feeling very pleased. I'll show you a video in one second here, but uh, they walked into random offices. They basically made cold calls—the thing that you and I are most scared to do, probably. They walked in, they got some yeses, and they—you know—people really wanted them to feel welcome in our community. So that's a win-win for everybody. <clears throat> so I'll just show you the news story. If YouTube is my friend, and we don't have to watch a bunch of ads, I'll just show you a news story of this event and the MLA. Over 100 people joined the Amadia Muslim Community in Bud Miller Park Saturday for the event run for Lloyd Minster. this was the first run that was locally organized and the community is hoping to make it a regular event on the calendar this was to raise money and awareness to buy an ophthalmology microscope for the Lloydminster Hospital I was once the chairman of the Lloydminster Region Health Foundation and it is wonderful to see a a congregation of people getting together to raise money for an acute need within our community. And I think it just proves that as Canadians, it doesn't matter uh, where you come from, what language you speak, what holy book you read, or where you pray, we are all Canadians. And one thing that we all share in common is our need for quality healthcare. That's something that you folks are contributing to, and we really, really appreciate it. So there it is. Richard captures it perfectly. And then the last owner profile I want to show you. I've touched on these guys a few times, but I just want to give them a dedicated slide because they are really probably the most prominent company in the rural small towns. So if there's, you know, someone in the community is sick or they're building a new rink, these are the guys that they come to first. They donate to everything. In our case, again, that typical story, the original owner had a serious health scare and now the family is even more philanthropic to healthcare. They say it affects everyone, every single customer in our region, no exceptions, everybody uses the hospital. As I mentioned, there's staff buy-in as well. They donate, uh, regular monthly donators. We have a staff member on our board. They donated to that CT dinner. You know, they're just a very engaged company. Obviously, it's no secret that you should have some of your biggest donors on your board if there's a fit. Uh, they said they're too busy as owners. They have a lot on the go, but here's one of our top performing staff, and this guy has been sensational for us as a fundraising committee member. They view community support as a competitive edge. And then as you see in their quote, we want to make the biggest impact we can on the local community. Others should too. So the others should too part is the most important thing here. He says to me on a regular basis, there's donors in this community. There's people with money. Everybody should be involved. Everybody should give. He's not afraid to make that ask, and he's not even afraid to call his competitor down the road and say, we're giving to this, do you want to be involved? It's not about our logo on the event poster, it's about the cause. So what does that mean for our charity? So I have about 11 minutes left here, and I want to save some time for questions, so um, I'll just kind of skim over this stuff. But we said, you know, positioning-wise, forget trying to out-hustle Edmonton or Saskatoon and be the regional specialist centre. We're not ever going to be that. But can we be the cleanest, most well-run rural charity in the country, let's shoot for that. So what does that look like? I'll show you a quick video of our gala. And so this was made about a month ago. And just see if you can kind of pick up, you'll see the donors from Egon that I talked about. See if you can pick up how we changed our messaging based on that CT rural event. Good evening and welcome to the 2018 Health Foundation Gala. Thank you very much for attending this evening and for supporting our foundation. Our project that we're dedicating the funds to tonight is Project Sunrise. Which is our Lloydminster Mental Health Initiative for first-class mental health support in our community. Mental health is a very important need in our community. Far too many people of every age and diversity end their lives because they feel there is no hope at the end of the dark tunnel. And this is why we need... It's not going to load, is it? It's actually a good time to pause because you kind of get the message. This guy talking right now, you won't see him, but um, his name's Cam K, and he's one of the owners of Eggland, and Misty is his wife. So Daryl and I, we have to say thank you. We should say thank you, but we said our thank you and then we got out of the way, put Cam and Cam and Misty as basically the the people of influence in their communities as the at the forefront of this campaign. And I don't know if you noticed what the first scene was, but it was grain, right? So. How does that look for you when you're positioning these folks, and what is your angle? The next point is re- regional hub of healthcare. I think I've mentioned that. <clears throat> At some point, you need to draw the line, and I know you're not all in healthcare. But the specialist, whatever it is, the specialist post-secondary institution, institution the specialist social program, it's going to be in Vancouver and Toronto, and then filter down, you know, to Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, all the other big cities. Over here, you have the rural towns like us, and even smaller, where they have some basic level service because there's people there. Somewhere in the middle, there's things that could be over here in a central hub or over here in a regional center. And so the other hospital foundations in Saskatchewan, the big city ones, tell us, you know, half of, our, half of our visitors are you guys. You're from out of town. And we find the exact same thing. Half the people who use the hospital are from out of town. So they say to us, if you do a good job of taking care of those people, they're probably never going to donate to us the same level you do. That'll mean less wait times for our donors in the big city, right? So it's a win-win for everybody here. We're not competing against each other. It's just a whole health <clears throat> pipeline of care. So just figure out where you fit in. Um, donations from surrounding counties and rural municipalities, uh, municipal districts, there's different names for them in each province. Counties in Alberta, RMs in Saskatchewan, those municipal bodies have started to donate to us as well as the city. So they care, and the governments there care, just like the farmers do, just as much about our hospital as our city does. And then the last thing, take the time to make the trip. So you really haven't visited with a rural donor until you've taken the drive out there, uh, you know, for a 15-second chat and then uh, actually a cup of coffee and then actually a second cup of coffee and then, oh, we have pie in the fridge. you want pie? And, oh, another half cup of coffee. And Then you do the hour drive home. So that's a three-hour commitment. It's a lot, obviously, in your week. Um, But now we have that donor for life and... Something about this culture, another practical tip, is that the biggest compliment you can offer farmers is visiting them in their home and letting them host you. That is like back to their grassroots stuff. So, and they'll give you a tour of their bins if you want. Like, Show off their equipment, they love it. Especially if you can bring them some food during harvest time or something like that. Like, there's just huge, huge value there. Obviously they're far away, and you need to bring a connector, somebody who knows you and them. Um, but there's huge payback there. <clears throat> so some trends to quickly breeze over. I told you I wouldn't focus on this, and I won't. Um, population in cities less than 100,000, about 11 million Canadians, and I know 100,000 is a mid-sized city. It's not a rural city, but when you're talking about care and services, a lot of the, the provincial and federal funding go to those major centres and then as the central hub and then streams out to places that are 100,000 or smaller. So consider them, you know, not a big, big city. Of that 11 million, 6.3 are less than 1,000. So it's actually interesting. Lloydminster is like the 160th biggest city in Canada. I found that surprising. Like I thought we were pretty small. So 70% of the population is out there in these small communities. Decentralized care, heal up at home. So what I mean by that is, again, there's a push in healthcare. There was once a push to centralize. Now there's this push to take care of people in their own beds. You know, they heal a lot faster is what they tell you. In my opinion, they look at their budget and say, it's way cheaper if this person's in their own home. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Um, And then the real competitive edge. So I have a friend named Tyler. Uh, He's a recovering addict. Uh, He was in active addiction for 30 years, never received the, the treatment he needed when he was in jail in the big cities. He never saw a social worker. And when he explains, he says, these are good people. They just see thousands of hopeless cases all the time. He got transferred to Medicine Hat, met the right social worker, transferred him to a sober living residence after he got out of jail in Lethbridge. Changed his life, now he wants to build one in Lloydminster, and he says, we can do a better job here than they can in the city. And those stories are out there for you guys, so figure out what your competitive edge is. Model for big charities in, in small cities is broken, so that picture there is an empty office space of a competitor national nonprofit that was in our community. With the, the push on cost to raise a dollar these days, paying rent there in a small town, paying staff people isn't justified anymore, so they're more centralized. So there's opportunities for you local fundraisers to out-compete these folks. A giving is the expectation so again that egg line quote right others should give to these farmers expect to give if you have money in a small town you're one of very few donors so the expectation is you step up for the new rink or for the person who's sick these people if you ask them for money they will consider it and again they're quiet but generous so these are hard-working tough people but they have soft hearts big city charities a few questions to ask yourself as we kind of wind down here What specialized service, so on this end, right, the specialized care, can I offer that supports, keyword supports, the basic work being done locally? The first thing they're going to do is say, how does this threaten my local hospital or my local university or whatever? So you really have to differentiate and sell them on that. How can I show them that they matter to us and what impact will their donation make amidst big city budgets and thousands of donors? So when we come to the city... We think we're smarter than all of you because the cost of living is lower, and like I can't imagine how much you guys pay in housing, all the rest of it. But we feel small, like you feel like an ant, and and you know maybe you are. But that's just what the donor thinks when they're in your city. So you really have to demonstrate that they matter. Who's your person of influence on the ground? Who's your Jackie, right? And then lastly, how can we communicate? Everyone t- in town is in. How can you reach that tipping point? That's for the small town charities too, but for a big city foundation, if you can. If you can communicate that and get that initial buy-in, reach the tipping point, you're off and running. Local small-town charities, how much can we do locally in the region before handing them off to tertiary centre specialists? That's the other end of the equation, right? How much can we do here? Uh, Where can we outperform an urban centre? So that addiction story, right? There is examples, or home care is another good one. People want to be taken care of in their own homes, not in the big city, so sell them on that. Question of credibility is magnified, obviously, because they know who you are, they see you at the grocery store, there's there's no anonymous. They have to know who you are, otherwise they won't donate to you, so you have to be credible. How can we engage the persons of influences that we know? So we know these people, we're not like the big city charities where they're trying to scour their database for addresses. Like We should know these people, take good track of it, of, of what their story is, their connection to your cause. And lastly, if the expectation is to give, are we making enough asks? I'm going to spend zero time on that because... Probably a lot of these presentations this week come down to that, right? If you make more asks, you'll get more money, and I'm sure you hear that all day long from your bosses, so I won't harp on you. <laughs> but just know that even though they, they seem like hard people, uh, a lot of times all you have to do is ask and make your case. So get out there. Again, get out there. Go meet Otis. <laughs> That's his Twitter handle if you want to check him out. I just looked a half hour before this. It's ripe with <laughs> good material for you, good entertainment. Uh, and I checked his follower account, so I'll know how many of you actually follow him. But he's a really good guy. Um, and the point here in closing, I guess, is these people are out there. They're accessing your cities, your you know, rural towns all the time. They have big hearts. They want to give. So just keep them in mind. Thank you very much.
0: We, we, we do have a couple minutes for questions, a couple minutes. Of time, which is great, yes. Uh, and so uh, are there any questions there? Perfect, right over here. And we're just going to use the mic because it's being recorded to share with uh, folks who want to listen after on the podcast.
1: Hi, I have a question from the big charities. (laughs) Um, So we are a national slash global affiliate, but the whole point of the charity, JDRF, was actually founded grassroots by parents of children with type 1 diabetes. So we are in a lot of smaller centers. So um, you're talking about that they do appreciate that there's the selling points of like government matches and the reason that it is a global affiliate is the money is used as wisely as possible. But how do you sort of frame that in a smaller town atmosphere that they are acting globally? Because I know there is a huge focus on taking care of everyone locally, but at the end of the day, it is something that impacts everyone. And um, we're looking for dollars and there's still families in those um, in those regions that would totally benefit. Yeah, great question. So I think what you just said to me, if if you said exactly that to a donor, a small-town donor, they would understand. So <clears throat> it's not that they're immune to giving to national charities. Like I think of sick kids here in Toronto. Like They do amazing research, and they're international too, right? And if it isn't for their work, they're going to change the game of how pediatrics is handled in our home community. So if, you just have to sell them on the benefit and usually explain to them you know, type one diabetes is a specific issue and your doctor is only gonna know so much. And then after this, we have to do this so that everybody is supported and the water rises together. So usually it's just, a lot of it is education. Like they're gonna view you as a threat going in, but as soon as you say, we love the work that the local staff here named X, Y, and Z, they'll probably know them, right? Like they know everybody. Uh, We love the work they're doing. Here's what happens if your case is, you know, fairly basic, not yet a crisis. And then as it gets more serious, Here's where we get involved. We don't want to steal from these local charities, but keep us in mind.
0: Time for one more question. Great.
1: Hi. Um, that was actually a really good session, so thanks for that. I just oh, to say that first. Um, and I know you seem to point out that the meal is the ticket. A lot of people love food, but I'm wondering if you can sort of share what your, um, I guess, what you would do if you were just sort of cold calling someone. You might not know every single person in your community, but I find a lot of people don't want to meet right away in person, or they prefer email or phone because it's safer for them, and they can say no and reject you. But um, So basically what does your pitch look like at first? A lot of people are very skeptical in terms of well, what do you want from me? So is it sort of just, let me take you out, have that discovery session, or are you pretty forthright and say, I'm going to take you out, but I do have a plan, and let's discuss this sort of thing. Yeah, great question. So I tried the, the soft approach that you described uh, and probably had about as much success as you did. And then the connectors started asking. So Cam, owner of Eggland, has hit on his own list of people I had never heard of. He asked them forthright, here's what we're doing, you know, I, I know not everybody can, but it's a great cause. And he made the ask over email. And then a lot of times, personal preference, some donors just sent the check. Some people called, some people said, come see me. Some people said, what's it at? And they came at the end to basically top it up. So. The connection in all of this, whether it's rural or urban, is your connector. I think you can start if you don't if you don't operate in the, the rural area, just start with who's from that area that's accessing your facility. If you can find out that info, at least have a discovery call with them. You know, what's the mood of of the town about us? How how do you access us versus the local services? And just do your research that way. And then, of course, your local connectors at the end, you're saying, can you help me meet some people who are also impacted, this? They know, impacted by this? They know probably 12 other families who are impacted that maybe didn't even think to go to you. So always start with the connector. It'll save you so much time.
0: There we go. Well, we wanted to get you out on time. How about another round of applause for Malcolm? Thank you so much. Malcolm, the session was called Backroads Cash. I was deeply ups- upset that wasn't a Dukes of Hazard reference.
1: <laughs> Next year.
0: But what we got was what I think most people came looking for, was a profile of the donor, profile of the ask, and how we understand the, the context in the community. So really valuable. It was great to see people really connecting with that. On behalf of AFP, thank you so much. This
1: is a thank you very much. Thanks Our for coming, guys.
0: And help, uh, please uh, let AFP know if the session was of value to you. Green forms, evaluation forms, I'll collect them. Just leave them on the table. The reception's upstairs in the exhibitor area. We'll see you up there after. Thank you, everybody, for coming.